0: Welcome to This Speech Life, an audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a school-based SLP with over 10 years of experience. In each episode, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of the topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of This Speech Life. I am Caitlin Lopez, a school based SLP, and your host. And I am over the moon excited to have the fantastic Kayla O'Connor with us today. If you don't know who she is, I can't wait to <laughs> introduce all of you to her. She's amazing. She has so many great things to offer us this episode. And before we begin, just a few housekeeping items. I am Caitlin Lopez, the host of this podcast, This Speech Life. I do receive compensation for this episode from speechtherapypd.com. And that is my financial disclosure. I have no relevant non financial disclosures to report. Kayla O'Connor is the owner of Coffee House SLP, where you can find her inspirational books on her website and she will receive an honorarium for appearing as a guest on this podcast episode. And those are her financial disclosures to report. She also has no relevant non-financial disclosures to report. All right. So now to the fun stuff. Like I said, I am excited to introduce you to Kayla. She is a speech-language pathologist with 12 years of experience working in the public school system. And with all 12 of those years working with secondary students in middle and high school. This is the population of students she truly loves working with and views her work as a secondary SLP as life work. She is an SLP with many passions, which includes functional therapy practices for adolescents and self-care and wellness for SLPs. Outside of her traditional role as a school-based SLP, she enjoys acting as a thought leader by collaborating and sharing with other SLPs regarding best practices for truly meeting the individual needs of students in speech therapy. And I am just so excited to have Kayla. I feel like there are tons of resources out there for early intervention, for preschool, especially for elementary. And we just don't talk about our secondary students enough. And all of those kids are going to eventually be secondary students. And so I am just really grateful for the passion that Kayla brings to this population and the resources that she's going to bring to all of us. So Kayla, welcome. And thank you for being here. Thank you for having me,
1: Caitlin. I am super excited to be here. And I think this platform is just such a good platform for us SLP. So thank you for doing
0: this. Thank you. All right. So let's just jump right into it. What are three things that we need to know about working with secondary students? So
1: I will say one of the first things to know about working with secondary students is that we always lead with Making connections with our kids, making those connections and then continuing to build on those connections. I found whenever I'm working with my students and I build those connections, that allows them to, in return, trust me as a a safe person. Because when we're working on things in the therapy room, sometimes those are really, really hard things for our students to do. And sometimes it's not so easy for them to just jump into trying things that they already know are difficult and hard for them. These are teenagers. They know what's easy for them. They know what's difficult for them. And it's not always easy to continue to try to do those hard things. But I found when you have someone there who you know is a trusted person, you know that you can trust that person. It's easier for the students to do the hard things. And once my kids trust me, I've found that they will do anything I ask them to do, <laughs> which is so good. It's like, you trust me, you know that I'm not going to let you fail. You know I've got your back. So, yeah, building those connections with our kids, even some of the kids that might be either apprehensive or they might have some negative thoughts about speech therapy or any of those things. Learning to just really connect with those kids and let them know that you are a trusted person and that can trust you in the process of therapy.
0: Awesome. I love that idea of just working on that connection piece first. I feel like teenagers are so good at reading through the, how do I say this without, (laughs) with sounding kosher, but reading through like that inauthenticity. You know, they know who's there for them and who's not. And I think that's really huge of just making those connections. And then, like you said, also continuing to build on those connections. It's not a one-time thing. I think those are such good points. And the other thing that I love the way that you just said that, it's hard to do hard things. We all don't like to do hard things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was recently talking with a friend. like She had posted something on social media about how she was so proud of herself that she tried something new And it's something that she wasn't initially good at at first, but she kept with it. And that's like the first time in her life she'd ever done that. And I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's a lot of
1: us, right? Yet we all need someone who's in our cheering corner. We all need a cheerleader. And especially these kids, you know, they're not adults. They're still navigating life. They're figuring things out. And so they need trusted people to help guide them and help them know that, look, you know, even if you fall, I've got your back. I'm here to support you. And so I just think that that has shifted a lot of my therapy sessions with my students. A lot of times I hear therapists that work with like the tweens and the teens talk about the behaviors and the attitudes. And I always say, I don't really have problems with my kids. (laughs) And I think it's because I start with building a connection with them. And then we continue to build upon that connection, and we really don't have issues. There are things here and there, of course, that we have to work through, but I think that that connection, it is unmatched. You can't beat it, honestly, when you work with this population. And like you said, kids know. They know when you care. They know when you're just there. I had a kid ask me before why do some teachers come to school? He's like, I know they don't care. I know they don't want to be here. Why are they still coming? It kind of broke my heart, but it helped me to understand that these kids know that they're not being fooled by the people who care and they're not being fooled by the people who don't care. So that was a huge thing that really opened my eyes.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like as a secondary student, your role has, well, I guess you've never really worked with elementary, or pre-K outside of grad school, but do you feel like your role is more of a counselor than maybe like a educator? Well, you know, it's so hard because all of us have all these different hats we put on when we walk into our therapy room, but it really sounds like you are there, especially when you you say things like, I've got your back. I'm not going to let you fail. I'm in your corner. So do you feel like there are sessions of yours where you're counseling students and you're just checking in on them? That is a
1: huge piece of it.
0: And I will say I've visited elementary schools, but I
1: didn't stay long. (laughs) I've helped out here and there, but I always come back to my side. (laughs) And I've worked in private practice with younger kids, but for the schools, I've consistently been with my secondary students. And Yes, that is a huge piece of it, the counseling piece. Just thinking back to when we were teenagers, how difficult it was just to navigate life and things. And then these are students who have um, difficulties in fluency. So think about a student who has a fluency disorder navigating teenage life, or a student who has a language disorder navigating teenage life. And so it's like those multiple things that they're dealing with at one time. And counseling is a huge piece of what I do with my students. And it doesn't always look like what a traditional, you know, counseling session would look like, but, you know, checking in with them. How's your day going? Well, you know, how's your week? What did you do over the weekend? Did you do anything, you know, fun? And just allowing that door to stay open for the students to communicate with you. I think that that's huge.
0: I love that. And I think it's a good point, too, that you pointed out. I'm not a counselor, but it is a piece of it and building that connection. So I think that's a really good point to point out. I'm still staying within my scope of practice. I'm not overstepping boundaries, but it is something that we need to think about. When we're working with students who have a lot more on their plate than just their one speech goal or two speech goals that they're coming to us for. Coming back to that whole person care, especially when it comes to to these teenagers that are really trying on their identities for the first time. So I think that's a great point that you bring up. What's the second thing we need to know?
1: So the second thing we need to know is I
0: think that there
1: is always question for people, whether they're SLPs or not. And the question is, they always ask, do kids still need therapy in middle and high school? The answer is maybe, I should say. There are kids who master their goals and they're successful. And once they get to seventh, eighth, ninth grade, they you know no longer need our services. But on the other hand, there are kids who are ninth grade, 10th grade and beyond who have not quite gotten, you know, all of the skills that they need to be successful, and they do still need our services. I think that there is a, a misconception that once a kid gets to their teenage years, that therapy is no longer beneficial. And I think that is the farthest thing from the truth. There are so many things that we can still work on with our students. And I would caution, and I've heard it before, that People say a blanket statement that once kids get to secondary, we start dismissing. And I'm like, no, don't say that. That is not what we do. <laughs> because what we do is individualized for every kid. So if the kid still needs therapy, then we show up and we still provide them with therapy. And the therapy, what's, especially once we get to you know high school, is really, I like to call it Focus on teaching life skills. What is it that this kid needs for life? Because once they're ninth grade, we've got a few more years with them in high school. What are the strategies? What are the skills that this student needs to be successful now in their academics, but then also beyond post-secondary for whatever their life looks like? Like every you know, student is going to have a different plan for their life and that's fine. But whatever their plan is, how can we ensure that right now we're helping them to develop the skills and strategies they need to be successful in life? We only have a few years with them. And so this is why I think that the work we do at this in this age group is so important because these are life skills. Like these kids are going to be 18 very very soon. <laughs> and we have to like it is our duty to ensure that we are equipping them with the skills that they need to be successful.
0: What does your caseload look like? Because I've heard that. I've been told that from administrators. I've been told that from the SLPs that, you know, my students are graduating onto their programs or I mean graduating from my elementary school into their middle school or their high school. Why are you still recommending services? Why didn't you exit this kid? You know, and then I think, "Oh, well, I've never worked secondary You know, there are times where I ask myself, am I keeping this kid on because I think they need it or because, you know, is it really going to benefit them that, you know, outweighing the balance of like they're being pulled from class time and, you know, there's a lot that we think about. And so it's like, am I keeping them because I think it will benefit them, which I think speech therapy will always benefit us. But is it really going to impact their education, because that's the piece of educational speech, right? We're not a medical model where we can just do that. So anyway, I'm rambling on, but you know, I've been told that. And so as you're talking about this, I'm like, okay, okay, this is validating to me to know that here is a secondary SLP who's saying, yeah, if I need to work with these kids, I need to work with these kids. It's not a blanket, oh, 10th grade, you exit. So my question to you is, what does your caseload look like? I always assumed that it would be like our, you know, severe and mild-moderate students in those SDC or self-contained classrooms that receive speech and nobody else does. And maybe some fluency kids. Do you work with students that are just receiving RSP? Do you work with Gen Ed students? What is... I guess basically I asked it, what does your caseload
1: look like? Yes. So I have a mixture. I have my self-contained units. I have several classes actually at the school that I'm at right now. Students with higher needs in self-contained classes and students who may be a little bit more independent but still in some of our self-contained units. And then as far as my general education students, I do have fluency students and I have a bulk of language and Prag students as well that we are still working on some of those things that are relevant for them right now in their academic setting. And you brought up something about the balance between, I guess, you know, do you want to pull the students from their classes and, you know, how that affects things. We definitely want to have the student in their least restrictive environment, which is the classroom, as much as possible. There is also the balance of when does this child need to be removed to work on specific things that can't be necessarily addressed in the classroom setting. And so, We do that with therapy. So therapy time looks very different when it comes to secondary students. So um, for elementary, you know, you may pull a kid twice a week. High school, we definitely, you know, typically I should say everything is individualized, but we typically don't use that model as much because we are trying to balance, okay, how often do we need to pull this student from their classes to work on this skill, but also how can we ensure that we're not pulling them too much from their classes? And so it is a balance and it's kind of a dance that we do when it comes to service time. But I think that the better thing to do is to find a time that works out for the student as far as pulling them versus not providing services at all. The fear of pulling them from their their classes. So, So to answer the question, I do have a wide variety of kids on my caseload, but the way we do balance the pulling from classes is that we work with the speech therapy time. So it's not as often. And I think that that allows the student also to, I always tell my students is the things that we're practicing here, you are, you know, to take it back to your class. So what we're practicing here, you know, I want you to also practice and incorporate into, you know, your studying or your reading in your classes and things like that. So we are there as an instructional support to assist with the academics.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, you know, for that clarification and just that explanation of what secondary services look like. I know that, you know, we're going to have secondary SLPs listening and they're like, yeah, we know this, but it's good for us to, I always try to think of my students, you know, even if I'm working with preschool, what is the long-term goal for this child? You know, what is speech therapy? What is academics? What is their, you know, academic career going to look like five years from now, 10 years from now? because I think that's really helpful in me trying to strategize, okay, what goals? And I know a lot of us are moved and we don't get the luxury of staying within a school site or within a a specific area for a long time, sometimes depending on our districts. That is something that I think about. And so I haven't developed relationships with our secondary SLPs in my current school district. It's ginormous. There's 60 of us. But I think this is a really valuable conversation and it's definitely inspiring me to check in with, you know, the students that I know they're gonna be at that middle school or I know they're gonna move on to that particular high school to reach out to those SLPs and and see how do we build this really you know cohesive program for our students? What do services look like for you? What would you like to see on IEPs? You know, hey, I've got this student coming into you. Here's what I'm thinking. And the reason why I'm thinking about all of this as you're talking is I'm thinking about one particular student that I've been assessing the last two weeks. He is a sixth grader. Language is fantastic. Uh, shyer kid. He's been... According to his IEP, he's new to me. I just started working with him. His services are five minutes once a month, which is just essentially a consult. And he's a fluency student. And so he's been in RSP for the last few years. According to his IEP, he moved into our school. The RSP teacher, I said, I don't think he needs to work with me anymore. So, and she's been working with the school psychologist. So she said, We're going to do a full evaluation. And move his triennial up. So I just recently started working with him, assessing him. I've been checking in with him, but I haven't heard disfluencies in the five minutes once a month when I pull him outside of his classroom. The teacher doesn't have concerns, but I recently was talking. So I pulled him and did some language samples with him this week, and I noticed disfluencies. And I started talking to him about his disfluencies, and because he's a sixth grader. He can tell me what's up. He said, yeah, I know about stuttering. My speech therapist told me about stuttering. I think stuttering is fine. You know, I asked a lot of questions. What's your view of stutterers? What do you, you know, trying to get to, does this really bother him or not? And it doesn't seem to bother him. And then when I talked to mom to get parent report, mom said, you know, he's been in speech for a long time. I know he still needs to practice his strategies. He doesn't remember to. And even in my conversation with him, eliciting those language samples and trying to get to if this is an issue for him or not, I just keep landing on your first point of, I don't think the SLPs made connections with him. And so speech is a negative thing, which you talked about, you know, what are your negative thoughts towards speech? And so it's one of those tough things. Do I increase his speech, you know, maybe once a month to check in on those strategies and remind them? Or do I just kind of, he says he's okay. Teacher doesn't notice it in the classroom. So it's that fine balance of how do we help these kids or not? And I wish I could send him to you, Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> I would thank him. I love fluency. <laughs> I
1: do too. (laughs) I think that your thought process is really good when it comes to that, especially with talking to the student. They have the lived experiences, you know, on what's going on with them from day to day. Fluency, of course, is one of those tricky things because, you know, the only consistent thing about fluency is that it is inconsistent. So (laughs) that's one of those trickier things for sure. I think that that's just so valuable to let the student know that, they have a voice in their therapy and allowing them to be a collaborative partner as much as possible. I think that you get so much more buy-in with our students when you let them know, like, yes, I am the SLP, but essentially you are the expert, you know? So- I have things that I know, but then you also have things that you know, and then we need to share those things so that we are working together as the team to support you best. And of course, you know, parent is a part of that team as well. So there are multiple different variables In this. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you for giving me this space to kind of process through the things you're saying. And I love this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. You know, and something that you just said that I always come back. So you said, you know, you're the expert. I'm here to help you, but you're the expert. This is you're in the driver's seat as to how you're gonna make these things work or not. And I always think our roles as SLPs is really to work ourselves out of a job. You know, it's to empower our clients or our students or whatever population we're working with to take these skills and we give them to them. They can take them and run with them and build on them and even teach us things that we never thought So I love that, that point of you're the expert, especially when we're working with those high school and junior high students. I can see why you don't have problems with your kids because you're empowering them and you're giving them that respect. Absolutely.
1: Oh, respect is a huge piece of it.
0: <laughs> I didn't even
1: talk about that, but yes, respect is a huge piece of it because that is one way to tick off a teenager, to make them feel disrespected. <laughs> they don't like it, <laughs> but it's mutual respect. I let them know that I will always respect you, but I, in return, expect you know the same respect.
0: Yeah, thank you for for that piece. You know, and i I had Dr. Gunn, the executive function SLP. I think she's the EF SLP on Instagram. I had her on the podcast last year, and she was talking about working on executive functioning skills. And she has a private practice where she works with high school students, study skills, and those executive functioning pieces. And I'm thinking. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's within our scope of practice too. And how that would really be something kind of fun to empower these kids to take these skills and add them to what it is that they're applying in their classes and whatever. So as you were talking about you know, what your caseload looks like, and yes, these kids need services. I was reminded of her conversation that she had to say about the piece that she does with high school students. So just thank you for advocating for our middle and high school students and the need for them to have a safe space to practice these skills and continue to build on their skills. I really think that you brought in a very important second point to us. So what's your third point? Okay, so the third point, we
1: kind of hit on it already, is that whatever we do with our students, we're thinking about, of course, you know, where they are, their academics, and that includes their social interactions, of course, with uh, their peers. And we're thinking beyond as well. So whatever we do with our students needs to be functional, needs to be relevant, and needs to be meaningful. And so in regards to functional, does it make sense for this student? Everything doesn't make sense for every student. So What we're doing as far as goals and activities, does it make sense for this student and their needs? And that's how we ensure whether it's functional or not. Is it relevant? Is it something that is, you know, immediate for their life right now? I was telling a colleague about this just yesterday. I had a student come into my office this week. He's a senior, and we're about three weeks out from graduation. And he comes in and we do our check-in like we always do. I ask him how things are going. He's got three weeks left. You know, are you excited? And he says, well, I'm failing for classes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about this. What's going on? And so we talk a little bit and he says, well, I've got a test tomorrow. And this teacher says, you know, I just need to do the study guide and take the test. And so I light up. And I'm like, okay, you have the study guide? He's like, yep. I was like, pull it out. <laughs> so he pulls out the study guide and we take that session and we go over all of the vocabulary. I know this is a kid who does not like to study. I've had him for like two years now. And he's told me I would rather cheat than study. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> so I say, okay, this is the perfect opportunity to Help him and teach him some of the study skills that he's going to need to make it through the study guide and take this test tomorrow. So pulls out the study guide and we go through it question by question. And we start to activate some of the background knowledge to help him with the definitions and the vocabulary. We start writing things on the board. I'm drawing pictures. I'm having him repeat it and I'm having him write it down. And we're going through all of this and we're using like all these multiple modalities. We're saying it and we're seeing it and we're giving examples and I'm drawing pictures. And we get through like an entire page of his study guide. And so at the end, I just see his face light up and I say, how do you feel about that? And he's like, I felt pretty good. And I say, do you remember, you know, some of the things that, you know, we went over? He's like, yeah, I do. And so I said, you can do this. Like, you've got this. We just went through an entire page and you told me, you know, all of the definitions, all of the vocabulary. You explained it to me. And not once did you look at the study guide. We did this in like 35 minutes. You can do this. And despite what I had planned for that session before he walked in, that was what was relevant for him right then and there. And that was the most meaningful thing. And so we did it. (laughs) So sometimes, even if you have something that is really functional plan, finding out what's relevant for that student is huge. It's a huge, huge piece um, to it. And then also what's meaningful for them? What are their interests? What do they like? What are they doing in their spare time? And incorporating some of that into your activities or your discussions, it really does give a lot of buy-in as well. If the student is interested in basketball and you decide we're going to do an article on basketball, that is so meaningful for them and they're all in. (laughs) So ensuring that we're making it meaningful and, and functional and Relevant for whatever is going on is a huge piece of what therapy looks like for our teenagers.
0: Did you know that SpeechTherapyPD.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. I absolutely love that because you shared he lit up, he felt empowered, he's got the skills now. I mean, I know it's it's hard to do things, it's hard to do hard things on your own, So, but he at least has the skills now to go through his study guide and learn how to write them, learn how to see them, learn how to hear them, um, learn how to draw them. <laughs> I love that example of like, okay, I took all these different modalities, we work through this together. And so I love that because he's also prepared for his test the next day. That's huge. I just love that example. And your flexibility in being able to, okay, this is what's needed right now. Not this amazing, fun thing that I've planned for end of the year, but this. I love that real life example. That's key. You have to be flexible. There's multiple times where I've had an
1: entire thing set aside, ready to go, and a kid walks in and they say something and I go, hmm, all right, pivot. (laughs) We'll do this later. This is more important right now. And we go with that. So definitely have to be flexible for sure.
0: Yeah, I love that. I remember as you were talking about it, I remember doing an observation in undergrad. We had to go and observe tons of different SLPs. And I just remember, you know, emailing all the SLPs in my area and whoever responded was who I went to go observe. And I went and observed a middle school SLP and he had a group of students and he was running study hall, but they were going through their textbooks and writing tests for the section that they were in and then the SLP had to take the test and they would grade him but he said this is I want them to start thinking about okay what kinds of he's like this student his goal is WH questions this goal you know this student is this and he's like but I also want it to be relevant to what they're doing and he's like and it's really fun for them if I fail their tests (laughs) yes and so, I just thought of that piece as you were talking about studying, and you know, it's now I want to be a secondary SLP. It's so
1: fun. I tell people it's not that scary, it's actually fun. I mean, of course, it's not for everyone and their personality, but I think that sometimes it gets a bad rap. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, I love it here. It's fun. We get to work on functional things. We get to work on life skills. These students are, you know, we can talk to them like they are almost adults. You know, we don't have to, I guess, be as animated. (laughs) And have so much energy all the time. We can just sit and have a conversation like you and I are about things. And I think that that's just, it's just so much fun to be able to just do that. They're like little adults. They're not quite adults yet. Yeah, they're little adults, but they have enough awareness and understanding to get it when you just sit down and explain things to them.
0: Awesome. Not that the things we work on in elementary aren't real life, but I just... You know, I can see how you're able to see the impact that you're making with your students, maybe a little bit more clearly than those of us who are working on like story grammar skills, (laughs) which are necessary, you know, so necessary that a student understands how to retell a story or an event that happens at school. But I can just see how, you know, they've got the skills and you're building on those and empowering them and and just having those fun conversations. I know I'm starting to step into that arena with some of my sixth graders, and it's so much fun. It was cute. Yesterday, I was walking to my office, and I have a group of sixth grade girls, and they're all in the same class. And they were like, it's, they're whispering to each other, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. And so I turned, and the teacher said, I think they have something they need to tell you. And they said, you're pregnant, aren't you? I said, I am. And they're like, you lied to us. And I said, how did I lie to you? They're like, well, you didn't tell us. And so, you know, while they're lining up, waiting to go back into their classroom from recess, we talked about the difference between lying and not necessarily disclosing information. And, And it was just kind of a fun conversation to have with these girls. And as you're talking about working with your secondary students, I was like, oh, maybe I could be a secondary SLP.
1: Totally could. I believe that you would be great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm hoping that, you know, if we have new grads that are really worried about being put in secondary positions, that they listen to this and they know that, you know, they're feeling excited about it. Cause I know that that happened for me where You know, when you're first applying, you're low man on the totem pole and you kind of get put where schools are open and that can be scary. So I'm hoping that, you know, I'm feeling super excited about secondary. Who knows if I'll ever end up there? I had no experience with secondary
1: when I started. So all of my placements were with younger kids or adults when I was in grad school and when I interviewed for my first job for my CF position, I remember the coordinator saying, "Oh, well, I've got the perfect high school for you," and I was like, "What? Oh no, <laughs> absolutely not! <laughs> I had never had any experience with high schoolers, and so I was." very apprehensive about going into high school therapy. And she says, oh, no, you'll do fine. She was like, I've done it for years. I think you'll be great. And she goes, it's the best kept secret. And so I'm like, I think this lady just wants me to, to come onto to her district. So, so I did it, and I've never left.
0: So that's <laughs>
1: awesome.
0: <you> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And I do remember sitting in those interviews and being like, are you sure? I don't know about this, you know, for whatever position, right? Because yeah. we are in need. And so I love that. I love that you've never left, you know, you've dabbled here and there, but your main like Day to day role has been secondary, which is so awesome. Absolutely. I like to call myself a secondary SLP. <laughs> I like it. I've termed that. <laughs> I, I like it. So, you know, as we've talked about these three things that we need to know, and we're kind of moving into that realm of maybe if there's somebody who is jumping into the secondary SLP role for the first time, what are resources that can help us learn more or resources we can use in our practice, what do you have for us today? Absolutely, so I like to
1: compile what I call just an inventory of my go-to things. And with high school therapy, I always hear people say, we don't have a lot of things for our high school uh, students, we need more materials, and it's true. We do need things, but we don't need a lot of things, which is the really good part of it. I consistently use dry erase boards and markers in every one of my sessions (laughs) as like just one of those things that's just embedded in what we do every session. You don't need a whole lot of things. I do have a binder of like visuals that I will use with my students as well that has maybe graphic organizers or it may have some little reminders or anything visually to help the student with whatever activity we're working on. So I have a binder of those things. But then I also, especially around the time of COVID, I started to build my online inventory of just resources. And so I have YouTube is one of the best things ever. And so what I've done is I've created a playlist essentially on YouTube of just video. I can go down a rabbit hole of videos like nobody's business. So I have all these videos that I've gone through and saved and they're clips of TV shows, they're clips from movies. The new thing that I found that I'm a little bit obsessed with, it's a wordless shorts. I I think it's what they're called. And they're so good. They're like, three minutes long, an entire, you know, little uh, scene. uh, Oh, I love those. Those are so good for conversation. And even some of our pride kids who we're looking at body language and we're looking at just interactions with, oh, I love those. So YouTube has been fantastic resource. Like I said, I have my playlist and whenever I need to, you know, use something, I'll go to my playlist and I'll pick out, okay, which video do I want to use for the discussion or for the activity or whatever it is that we're doing. So that has been really huge. And then also online, I use a lot of the language and literacy websites that have like the reading articles. So News ELA is fantastic. I love that site because They'll have some of the really relevant and latest news and they'll put it in an article. And you can determine how long you want the article to be. You can do like a longer one or a shorter one, but they also have really relevant things. So they had an article on like the Grammys and they had an article on when LeBron broke the record for, and so those are like really fun things that, you know, it's a reading and it's a literacy activity, but it's a relevant literacy activity for what's going on currently like in the world. And then another that I like to use is ReadWorks. It's ReadWorks. Org, And it's also like a news ELA where it's a website that has many different readings, articles. They can search by grade level. They can search by what goal you're looking to do. Like if you're looking for articles that support the student finding main idea or making inferences, I typically just find an article that I like. And then I work with, okay, we can find predictions or we can make predictions here. We can find the main idea versus kind of searching through that. But those online resources are really what I use for the bulk of what I do, whether it's one of the articles and one of my YouTube videos or and I do have things that I use in my sessions as well. So we may have, oh, one of the things that I use consistently also are, I don't know what the the name is for them, but I call them like language cards and essentially are picture scene cards. And essentially it's just a picture scene of something, you know, happening. And they're really good for language, for discussions, for you can make predictions. You can work on comparing and contrasting. You can work on so many different things. And I think it's just a set that I got from one of the teacher supply stores. But I use those a lot for language activities, or you could use it for fluency or anything. So the thing that I try to always think of whenever I'm pulling resources is what can I use for multiple students, multiple goals, use it in multiple different ways to sort of use with our students. And so I look at things that are really, I guess, quality things, things that I can use over time, things that I can build on and use for multiple different goals for our students. So I don't use a whole lot of things, but I have my go-to things that are really solid and quality that I know that I can use over and over again and then
0: also build upon. Awesome. I mean, you gave us more than two resources. I love that. (laughs) I love that. You know, readworks.org, News ELA. Okay, News ELA, that's so fun that they do fun articles, you know, fun articles about the Grammys and LeBron. I mean, that was was a big deal. It was.
1: (laughs) It was. And the kids knew all about it. So when I brought out the article, they're like, oh, yeah. We saw it, and then of course that leads to a discussion, and and it's great because they already have the background knowledge, and so then we start reading the article, and it just makes it that much better. So
0: yeah, I love that. There's a group. So one of the recreational aides is a big Laker fan. Another teacher that I work with is a big Clippers fan. We're in Southern California, and the last couple of weeks, every morning, there's a group of students. They're not speech students, but it's just fun to walk in and we'll talk about the game the night before, or we'll talk about, you know, what's going to happen. And, and so I'm thinking as you're talking about that, oh yeah, I could totally incorporate, you know, current sports news in with my older students.
1: Absolutely. Yes. If that's what they're interested in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then it doesn't become like, Oh, I feel like I'm doing work. It's almost like, you know, they're just talking about something that they're like, but you know that you're working on, you know, their their goals and things with them. So yeah,
0: yeah, I love that. Yeah. Every morning at the gate the last couple of weeks, it's been talking about the games the night before, who's going to win, you know, a little bit of trash talking here and there, <laughs> but that's what makes it fun. It's all in good fun. So I love that. And the wordless shorts, I love those.
1: I don't know if it's new or I just discovered it, but I'm all in.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I know Dr. Anna Vagan, she utilizes them a ton in her work. And I think if you go to her website, she's got like a list of them that she works through. And she also has resources about how to utilize them. I've learned a lot from her about working through those like wordless shorts. I know she uses a lot of maca and Roni and then there's an art school. She's based in the Bay Area and there's an art school in San Francisco that creates them every year. And so I can't remember what the school is called. You can look on their YouTube channel and they, you know, have a bunch of really fun ones. I know like I've used Heron and Joy a ton. It's a anyway, when you talked about that, I just lit up. I was like, oh yeah, they're amazing. And you can do so much with them. You can you
1: can. This is why we don't need so many things. We just need quality things that we can use for multiple kids. Like you can use that for almost any one of your kids, articulation kid, a fluency kid, a language kid, you know, a kid who's working on pragmatics. It can be used for any student.
0: Yeah, it can. And, you know, the way that Anna cut kind of works through the clips too, you can use, you know, one video for multiple sessions. And so that's been really helpful. I think that's the best thing that like happened, for my practice when it comes to covid was i utilize so much more digital resources now than i ever did before and the kids love it i mean that's what they're interested in so i think that that was such a good point that you made about like building your inventory you've got you know your your stuff that you can use brick and mortar but then your online resources i think that's huge and that's what we're learning, you know, that's what they're doing in the classroom. That's what is interesting to them. So I love that you're utilizing YouTube and making it fun for the kids. So thank you for sharing all of those resources with us. We definitely got more uh, today, which is awesome. So what is your one actionable strategy that we can start utilizing tomorrow with our secondary students? I would say the one thing that we
1: can and I think is really going to be impactful for us to do is to, because we are SLPs, and so in our therapy sessions, we are the one who's competent in expressive language, and we're competent, and we know how to articulate and self-regulate, and the student is the one that's there learning and, and practicing it. And so I think the one thing that I would say to our SLPs working with secondary students is that sometimes we have to take a minute to take off the SLP lens and really try and see the world through the eyes of our student. And so sometimes when we see things that are behaviors that may not be the most positive, sometimes That means we just need to take a step back and try and see how this child sees the world as a language impaired student, you know, coming to school every day and just trying their best, you know, whether they're being successful or not. Or a student who has a fluency disorder, just navigating their day and trying to see. The world, sort of through their eyes, or even some of my students who are in self contained, you know, a student who uses an AAC device, just trying to understand what their day looks like from their eyes. And I think it allows us to have a little bit more compassion and understanding when we see a child maybe making decisions that aren't necessarily the best or maybe even having behaviors. Just to understand that this is a child that's trying to navigate. their teenager. They don't know everything. They're trying to navigate life as a student with a language impairment or a student with a fluency disorder. And they won't always get things right. And so when we take off that lens of, you know, being the the adult who, you know, has it together, we know how to do things and just really trying to understand and see that this is a child who's just trying to navigate and they're not going to always get things right. And that we can show our students a little bit of compassion and grace when they don't quite make the mark. So that's the one thing that I would say that That is an actionable, easy thing for us to just walk into our sessions and do and say, "Okay, I'm going to take off my SLP lens. I'm going to try and see things from the perspective of this student who is struggling with pragmatics, you know, navigating their day and understanding that a little bit more.
0: Are you looking to move up on the pay scale? You can through SpeechTherapyPD.com in collaboration with University of the Pacific. Start earning graduate level credits today. Courses are evidence-based and practical. Win-win. Check out speechtherapypd.com for more information on earning graduate-level credits. I mean, I can see now, absolutely, why you don't have issues with your students. Because they know, without a doubt, that you are in their corner. You know, especially if that's how you're approaching them. Like, okay, my goal here is to help you through this, not to make sure that you're perfect every time. I think that's huge. I went to a panel at USC this last weekend and it was a neurodiversity affirming panel. There were professors at USC. One was a linguistics professor who has a interest in people with disabilities. There was a law professor who had schizophrenia. And then there was a, a woman who was a BCBA professor at USC and she had written a book with an autistic man and they shared a clip of him reading his story. And as you were talking about, okay, how do we view this through their lens, take off our lens, take off what we think we, you know, we know exactly what needs to happen. We know exactly how they need to communicate in the situation, but they can't do it. That's why they need our help. So how do we look through their lens? And He shared a really pivotal moment in his life was when he was in high school, he was being bullied at school. The teachers weren't listening to him. And he said, I was probably not communicating appropriately, you know, what was really happening. So he didn't really see the point of being at school anymore decided to go home, left school early, walked home. His parents were inside. He was knocking on the door. They didn't answer the door because they didn't want him to be at home. They wanted him to walk back to school, but there was no communication that happened. He knew where the ax was in the garage, went and got the ax and broke down the door so he could go inside. He was fixing his own problem. Well, when that happened, the parents called the police. The police came and he ended up in a residential Care facility because his parents saw him as a threat, the police saw him as a threat. And he said it was so embarrassing, you know. All I wanted was to go inside my room and relax after a hard day at school. And they had just answered the door. I would have walked in, gone upstairs, gotten a snack, you know, relaxed. But that wasn't. And so, as you were talking about, how do we see How do we see what's happening through our students' lens? You know, we know their executive functioning hasn't fully developed at that age. We know that they have issues, which is why they come see us, which is why we work with them. And I think that's so key, especially as I've been processing through that story this week of how do we best help and give those life skills. And I think your role, I can see why you see it as life work of really helping bridge that gap for these students. I think that's so huge. And that was such a such an important story for me to think about when we see behaviors, even at the elementary level of kids running out of the classroom. Well, why are they running out of the classroom? Yes. Yes,
1: exactly. And that's when it's our role to step in and try and see instead of Always. And I understand, you know, that there are things that we have to do for safety reasons. But instead of stepping in always and correcting the child, trying to see first, you know, where this child is coming from, because, you know, it may be a a fight or flight situation, you know, where they were so overwhelmed or they were so dysregulated, they didn't have the words to communicate it. And that was the reaction that, you know, they had. And so that's when it's our job to step in and help them to shape, okay, what are some of the maybe more dangerous or behaviors that are not successful and help them shape those into more successful ways of coping and dealing with things? And it's like, you know, when we're upset, you know, sometimes we may need to get away. We do it in a way that, you know, people don't necessarily question it. We may just kind of get up and quietly walk away versus a child who is still trying to figure things out. They may elope. And you're like, why are they running? It's like the child needs to get away. This is too much. So really understanding that, you know, what we see is happening because of something that, you know, the child is experiencing on the inside. And we have to be kind of that That connection and to help them get to maybe a a safer way or a better way, becoming more competent in their communication skills.
0: Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up as an actionable strategy, because I think that's something that's so overlooked. And especially in the conversations that I've had on the podcast, you know, somebody might say, Oh, make sure you do this one thing, make sure your therapy is relevant, you know, make sure you do this one thing. And I think that you bringing that piece up of, Take off your SLP lens. Take off the things you know you need to that needs to happen, and really put yourself in these, this child or this student shoes, and figure out why are they doing the things that they're doing. How do we help them bridge that gap? Kayla, you are such, such a gift and a blessing to your your school that you work with, to all of us for inspiring us to do the same thing. And as I was kind of processing through you sharing that idea of you know okay well we know how to self regulate we know how to to do these things and these students don't i was trying to think of examples in my own practice in my own day to day and it's i know that i'm better at providing that compassion to students when i'm in a good place and so i want to pivot a little bit because this is another passion of yours we can just touch on it briefly but you also really care about wellness for SLPs. And I mentioned before you have Coffeehouse SLP where you have this amazing inspirational book. Can you just touch on a little bit about making sure that we're in a good place and that we have that full cup to support our students?
1: Yes, definitely. And, and you hit you hit it right there where you said making sure that we have a full cup. I always say that we have to fill our cup and then we pour into others from our overflow. If we are exhausted, if we are burned out, there's no way that we can show up for our students and be our best self as an SLP. There's no way we can show up for our family and our friends and anyone in our lives if we are constantly in a state of exhaustion or burnout, and I hate the aspect of our career where sometimes it's so productivity driven and our work as SLPs is simplified to a caseload number. And we're so much more than that. We never go into a therapy session, do the session, and then are completely removed from it. We are invested so much into our students or our clients or whoever we're working with that it takes a lot from us to be able to pour into our students. And there's no way we can do that if we don't allow ourselves the time and the space to take care of ourselves. And I hear, I've used it before, a lot about balancing work-life balance and balancing all the different things that we have. And when I think of balance, I think of the visual of like holding things up and just trying to make sure that things don't fall. And I think that the better way to really conceptualize it is not necessarily balancing, but boundaries. Because when you're balancing, you still have so many things and you're just trying to ensure that things don't fall. And I think that living life in a way to where we're just trying to keep things from falling apart is not, you know, the best plan that we can have. I, th- I think that. We can be better if we have boundaries, boundaries for work, boundaries for other obligations in our life. And sometimes those boundaries mean that you need to have time to yourself. Sometimes those boundaries mean that you need to involve yourself with things that fuel you and give you energy. What are your passions, whether it be professionally related or outside of the profession? What are those things that make up who you are. Being an SLP honestly is one aspect of who we are. <laughs> I know it takes a lot <laughs> out of us to where it seems like, oh my gosh, it's taken over my life, but it really is one aspect of who we are. So ensuring that we have boundaries so that we can have time and space and energy to devote to all those other things in our life is Huge. It's huge. And it's something that I've had to realize definitely. Also, be aware of what your body is telling you. Your body will tell you when you need to rest or when you need to take a break. And I think that because, you know, we're great SLPs, we just keep pushing and keep doing things, which is great. I believe in hard work. I do. But I also believe that you have to take time to yourself, you have to create the space. Like, it's not there. It won't just appear. You have to create the space. And the way that I found the best way to do that is by having boundaries.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, you know, of just touching on that really key piece, because as you've talked throughout, you know, this last hour about how much you give to your students, I'm thinking, okay, She's giving so much to her students. She's putting herself in their shoes. She's thinking about how to make it meaningful and relevant and building that connection. And that connection can really take a lot from us. It's so different than walking in with our flashcards, doing our flashcards, sending the kids on, taking our data, updating our progress report. Is That's something that a robot can do. But we're not robots. And in order to build those meaningful connections, in order to do this hard work and this life work that you're talking about, we really need to make sure that we've got full lives. And so I really love that key piece because as you've been talking today, I'm like, man, Kayla's amazing. Oh my goodness, I'm so inspired today to show up for my students in a relevant way and to build those connections and to keep working on those connections. And that's, I think, what gives us the joy with this profession is building those connections and, but we have to make sure that we have the energy to do that. And so I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk about boundaries, talk about how to show up as an SLP. We also need to make sure that we're, we're able to show up for ourselves and, you know, making those boundaries of what's important for us and taking that time. And, you know, I think especially, Social media is fantastic, but sometimes we look at the SLP realm of social media and it's like, oh my gosh, we need to be doing all these things. You know, there's so many girl bosses out there, right? <laughs> you know, there's school-based SLPs and their private practice and they're selling their materials on TPT. And I don't necessarily, I know you have a side hustle, but for me, your side hustle, not that it doesn't feel that way with the other SLPs, you know, but for me, it really, it comes across as your heart work and your life work that you do. And it's something that you do for yourself that you're thought, why don't I share this with other people? Yes. As opposed to like, Oh, I'm trying to hustle. I've been a fan of yours for so long. And it's so fun to meet you in this space. I appreciate who you are and what you bring to our profession and what you bring to your students and to your school campus, you know, I'm sure that that they find you to just be a breath of fresh air and light and such a blessing. So, before we end, I just wanted to give you that piece of gratitude. Thank you. Um, so thank thank you. you. And
1: now we'll just say this: that everything that I, you know. I've learned with my students and then uh, as far as, you know, the boundaries, everything is something that I have experienced along the way and I have failed at. (laughs) So now I can look back and say, okay, that did not work. Now I know better. And these are the things that I know to do, you know, a little bit better moving forward. I still have work to do every day in Continuing to set my boundaries and continuing to show up for my students is always something that I need to improve on. And I think you talked about social media. And I will say this, that social media paints the picture that, you know, everyone has it all together and they're perfect and no one is perfect I'm not perfect in anything. And I'm okay with saying that. Like, I know a lot, but I don't know everything. (laughs) Like, I'm good in certain areas. And there are a lot of areas that I still need a lot of work in, which is why I have to be intentional about reminding myself of certain things. So I just wanted to say that, like, no one is perfect in this world. (laughs) We're all just striving just to be a little bit better every day.
0: And I'm okay with that. You know, thank you for bringing up that point to you. And I love your humility. Like I, (laughs) I'm sure that you're great. What I've also learned too is priorities of mine when I first started out, you know, my first five years are vastly different than my priorities now because my life looks vastly different. And so it comes back to that flexibility piece that you were talking about, you know, applying that flexibility within our sessions, applying that within, you know, our practice. And yes, we have firm boundaries, but it's okay to change those over time. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Boundaries change. So whatever your boundary is in this season
1: may not necessarily, you know, be the boundary in the next season. Sometimes we have to shift based,
0: like you said, based on what we have going on in our lives. And that's fine. (laughs) It's totally okay. (laughs) It is. Oh my goodness. You know, I just have to have you back on to talk about boundaries and that self-peace care, actually. I think that would be a great conversation. And we can dive more into your uh, daily. Well, we were talking before we started recording how both Kayla and I use her inspirations book more as a weekly than a daily, but (laughs) I was very
1: intentional not to put daily on
0: there because I know. (laughs) So anyway, we'll talk about that in the future for sure. But Kayla, as we wrap up, can you just recap your three things we need to know, your two resources, and your one actionable strategy for us?
1: Yes. The three things to know about secondary therapy. One, one. Yes, there are students who still need therapy in secondary. That's okay. That's why we're here. We show up for those kids. Secondly, that we lead every interaction with our students with forming connections, building those connections, and ensuring that our students know that they can trust us and that this is a safe space to do the hard work that we have to do. And then lastly, that our therapy sessions are functional. They're relevant. They're meaningful, you know, and that we are doing life work for our students.
0: Awesome, And then the resources that you have for us.
1: Oh, yes. The resources. Gosh, YouTube, one of my favorite resources. Create playlists, you know, compile all the different go-to things that are going to be wonderful for your students. Online resources for language articles. News ELA and ReadWorks are two great ones. And then also just having your, your tangible materials that are really quality for your students so that you can just use those and reuse those and use them for multiple groups and multiple goals and all those good things are really the resources that I use as well. So you don't need a lot, but those are the things that you know are good and they're the best bang for your buck. Awesome.
0: And then your last actionable strategy.
1: And the last actionable strategy for my SL peeps that are working with secondary students
0: is really
1: just take a minute to try and see the world through the student's eyes. We are SLPs, you know, they are the students, they have the lived experiences and just try and understand their perspective when it comes to things. And we may not always get it completely, but the least we could do is make an attempt to try and see things from their world.
0: Awesome. You know, Kayla, I know I said it before, but just thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation to have and I am just excited to, to continue to learn and grow from you. Those that don't know you, how can they get in touch with you if they have follow-up questions or if they just want to see what you're up to? Yeah.
1: So my favorite hangout is on Instagram. It's coffeehouse underscore SLP on Instagram. That's where I typically do a lot of my posts. And definitely if anyone is interested and would like to reach out to me, send me a DM, send me a message. I'm always there. So that's where you can find
0: me. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did, and we'll see you back here soon. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Use the unique coupon code for listeners of this podcast, LIFE20, for $20 off an audio course subscription. Audio course subscriptions give access to all existing and new audio courses from SpeechTherapyPD.com. Again, use the code LIFE20 to access more than 200 hours of audio courses for $59 a year. Visit SpeechTherapyPD.com LIFE for more information and start earning CEs today. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.